Let me sing you a song About the people that I love The poets and philosophers The workers and the wanderers The ones who walk the picket lines Dare to stand and fight And the ones who hold their babies close And rock them through the night Yes, the ones who hold their babies close and rock them through the night. Let me sing you a song. Joe Jenks from his latest album, Poets, Philosophers, Workers, and Wanderers. And Joe Jenks is on the line. And welcome back to WLRN, Joe. And thanks so much, Michael. Great to be with you. It's been way too long. I just played Let Me Sing You a Song from your latest album. That's a song that you dedicate to Pete Seeger. Yeah, I wrote that on the morning that Pete Seeger died, uh, actually. It just, it, it sort of came out of the blue into my head. Um, Re- my friend Reggie Harris gave me a call that morning because he wanted me to know from a friend, not just from, you know, reading a newspaper or something that Pete had, in fact, passed. And the first thing I did was hop out of bed, grab my laptop, and go find Pete's testimony from 1955 uh, before the House on American Activities Committee. And I read through it a couple of times, and I was astonished at the elegance and the earnestness and the clarity, and at the same time, the very well-chosen words, the vagary. I mean, clearly, this is, this is a songwriter on trial. Like, there's no mistaken words that come out of his mouth, you know. Um, he's well prepared, but it, it, it to me demonstrated what it looked like to elegantly stand up to a room full of bullies and refuse to give in and refuse to succumb to the instinct to be belligerent. You know, like on the one side, you just acquiesce. On the other side, you become belligerent. And he did neither. Uh, he just threaded the needle very carefully and said what he had to say in a very measured way and absolutely confounded a room full of people that wanted to, you know, somehow indict him. He was found in contempt of Congress, and he never did jail time, but he spent seven years being listed as being in contempt of Congress. It was into the early 60s before his name was cleared. And the gist of what he said when they kept accusing him of various things is, gentlemen, I'm just a singer. I travel all over the world. I sing songs that serve to bring people together, to lessen the distance between people. And, and I brought my banjo with me. If you'd like, I'd be happy to sing some of those songs for you. And they, they, you know, they declined his offer. <laughs> and yet he was very clear. Like His purpose was to be a singer and to bring people together, not to foment any particular form of rebellion, per se, but rather to watch the beauty that occurs when people from different places and different cultures and different walks of life gather together and through the music see the humanity in each other. And I think that's really been an animating purpose for me in my life. Do you remember the first time you met Pete Seeger? I do. The first time I met him was in 1998 in Seattle. Um, There was uh, the Seattle Labor Course was just newly formed specifically to back up Pete at the the Northwest Folklife Festival in Seattle, and I met him there. And the next time we met was in February 2000 at Folk Alliance in Cleveland, and I ended up performing with Pete that weekend. He was somebody that really, I think, avoided a pedestal 
when he could because he felt like the only thing you can do with a pedestal is to fall off of it. You know, if you if you place yourself above other people, it's very easy to disappoint people. If you spend your life trying to live in solidarity with people as a peer, as an equal, as somebody who's in community in an honest way, then you have the opportunity to lift a lot of people with you when the spotlight shines on you. And being with Pete on stage was sort of like the table I grew up eating around. You know, if we wanted to bring a friend home for a meal, there was always enough food. There was always enough room at the table for another person. And Pete, in my experience of his life, and of course I can only speak to the 20 or so years that I knew him, Joe Jenks is on the line. I'm going to play another song from your Poets, Philosophers, Workers, Wanderers album. It Originally, a, a labor tune, Solidarity Forever, you put an Irish spin on it, but do you, do you think the union is going to come back? Well, the union's still here. I mean, let's start with that. The <laughs> union's true. still here. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are a whole lot of workers in this country and around the world that have representation. And um, again, the old models may be out the window, but the objectives are still the same. It's to recognize the full measure of a worker's humanity and the full measure of their right to be treated respectfully in the workplace. I mean, the, the heart of the labor movement, separate from any individual union, I think is that, that workers should be paid a fair measure of the profits generated from their labors and that they should have the opportunity to be able to speak up in the workplace about safety issues or the means of production if it's being done in a way that's harmful to the workers. They should have a voice in the process because they're the ones that understand how it's being done at the most intimate level. So and, this song, um, this song Solidarity, Solidarity Forever, is just as pertinent today. Uh, I think it absolutely is. Uh, in our hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of armies magnified a thousandfold. We will bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old when the union makes us strong. Beautiful poetry written in like 1907 by Ralph Chaplin. Uh, he set it to the, the, the tune of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Uh, you know, and I was I was headed out to Salt Lake City to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of Joe Hill's uh, execution in Salt Lake City, and I wanted to have something fresh for that event, and so I wrote uh, basically a fiddle tune that I planned my bazooki. I wrote a piece called Joe Hill's Hornpipe. And then all of a sudden I realized, you know, it's like they say certain things can, can be set to the Yellow Rose of Texas or the tune of Gilligan's Island. All of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I could sing Solidarity Forever to this melody. And I did it once and I was like, okay, we're done. That's it. This is great. I love it. Well, let's listen to Joe Jenks. This is his version of Solidarity Forever. When the union's inspiration through the workers' blood shall run, there can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. What force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? But the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. 
factories built the cities where they trade dark the mines built the workshops and the smiles of railroad laid now we stand outcast and starving amidst the wonders we have made but the union makes us strong solidarity forever solidarity Never toiled to earn, but without a brain and muscle, not a single wheel would turn. We'll break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. Greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of armies magnified a thousandfold. We'll bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, when the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity Forever, Joe Jenks, from his latest CD, Poets, Philosophers, Workers, and Wanderers. Joe Jenks is on the line. He's going to be doing a show this Saturday night for the Emerald Concert Series. Not going to be in town, but he has been here for that series. That's usually in Hollywood. And again, it's another concert that's going to be virtual on the computer. How has the pandemic affected you, uh, Joe? 
Um, you know, it, it, it's been a real learning curve for me, like it has been for so many. I have to say that, that truthfully, my first concern heading into the pandemic was not professional, but personal, uh, very much one of community, one of being concerned about the, the many, many communities. I, like I said, I've been on the road full time for 22 years. I've traveled all over the U.S. and Canada and the Caribbean and uh, parts of Central America, parts of Europe. Um, I have friends on every continent. And so I spent a couple of months just staying connected to people, just really wanting to make sure that the multitude of communities that I'm connected to were people were doing okay, you know. And and then a couple of months into the pandemic, it became clear that I really needed to, you know, get back to the, the, the process of figuring out how I could give something useful artistically in this time. Because I think a lot of people find music very very healing in the midst of chaos. Music is something that helps people stay grounded and stay centered and and sometimes get through another day or another week. And so it was clear that concerts needed to be happening. Uh, I was blessed pretty early on, uh, only if, uh, maybe two or three weeks into the, the full-on shutdown lockdown, I got to do a live concert from Cafe Lena in upstate New York in Saratoga Springs. Uh, and we had, real time, we had a couple thousand viewers that night. And then within, I think, 48 hours, over 4,000 people had viewed that concert. It just woke me up to the possibilities that were there. I mean, we were all socially distanced and masked inside the venue. And, and you know, I only took my mask off when I was on stage. And But I realized immediately how important the music was to people and that they would transcend, um, they would forgive the ways in which we needed to transcend the medium in order to stay connected and the comments in the chat stream and you know people sent me emails and notes on facebook and all kinds of things it was it was just a remarkable experience to recognize that the people who love the music and want to support the music and also are nourished by it would forgive a little grainy video on youtube they'd forgive some of the imperfections of the medium if the sound was good and they witnessed something that was real it was live it was sincere you know that that's what really seemed important and so uh now for almost a year uh all of the shows i've done save for two uh have been uh, a few of them in venues i went back to cafe lena over the summer i was at the ark up in ann arbor michigan over the summer again playing for empty rooms it's easier to play for an empty room in my home studio when I'm doing broadcasts because I don't have any memory of being in this space with other people. I've always been here alone. Uh, it's really bizarre to walk into a 450-seat room and have memories of that room being full of people like the Ark and play for an empty room. It's like, oh my God, my worst fears happened. Nobody came to the show, you know? <laughs> and you have to, you know, you have to work through that, that sort of terror that grips you when you realize that somehow you have to summon the energy that you would for a room full of people and do it for an empty room. But I've come to understand that you really can feel the difference. I can feel somehow in my being when people have tuned into a show. So uh, I have since been partnering with the people that I have a lengthy history with in the analog world, in the brick and mortar world, to keep doing live performances. And I do pretty much all of my shows live because I feel like people still, they get something out of it that's different than if I pre-record. You know, there is something about a live event that matters. So I was delighted to uh, be asked to partner with Emerald Concerts. We were supposed to do an in-person show on the 27th of February. 
and uh, obviously that was not a, a safe or a sound choice so we're going online it'll be a live stream and people can dial in there'll be links on my website which is joejanks.com www.joejanks.com joejanks.com uh, there'll be links right on the home page and on the tour dates page uh, the Great Basement Tour of 2020 continues into 2021. It's great. And then sometimes after shows, I'll host a little a little soiree for the inner circle, you know, via Zoom or something, so we can have a little hang time afterwards, you know, in the way that we would backstage after a show. You know, we'd go backstage or into the green room and hang out and chit-chat for a little bit or whatever. But I think all of us are finding ways to adapt and still say, no, community is still at the heart of what we're doing. It's so easy for me to succumb to my own sadness. I've lost, personally, uh, a couple of immediate family members uh, as a result of COVID, a couple of beloved elders. Uh, I have lost several dozen people in the last year, and that's the, the downside of living a life in the world, living a life where you know thousands or tens of thousands of people over the arc of 22 years of touring, is that it seems like several times a week I'm getting emails or phone calls about another person who has passed. And it's, I have to say there are moments when it's really easy to succumb to my own sadness over that and my own frustration that how many people have died that, in my opinion, did not need to die if people had taken this seriously, if they had not seen wearing a mask as somehow an infringement of their civil liberties, but just the socially responsible thing to do. And then I realized that I can't do my best work from a place of anger. That anger can be the spark plug in the engine, but the fuel has to be love. The fuel has to be love. The fuel has to be a belief in our capacity to transcend this era, this time, these struggles, and reemerge with more awareness and more compassion and more humanity. And so I have my moments, like everybody does, of sadness, of grief, of anger, of frustration, a uh, sense of isolation sometimes, what have you. But just as I think the music helps the fans stay connected and anchored and helps us continue to be aware that we're in community, I think it does the same thing for me. You know, it helps me feel a sense of community and feel a sense of, okay, we're, we're still in this together. We're going to get through this. Well, let me play another song. Your album, Poets, Philosophers, Workers, Wanderers, was written before the pandemic. Why did you write at the time, given, well, did you write Given Myself to Love? Yeah, that's one of my songs. It, 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 it's a bit of a, an oddball in my songwriting um, in that it, it almost sounds like a, a lost, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein song or Rogers and Hart song. It, it almost sounds like something that came off of a Broadway musical in the 50s. And maybe I'll write the rest of the musical someday. But this song came to me uh, when I was um, just on the leading edge of the end of a 20-year relationship. And I realized that, um, that I had to believe in love, even though I had tangible evidence that not every relationship is meant to be lifelong. Um, I read something, Dan Savage is a relationship columnist, but I remember reading something where he said, we have to find a way in our society to see marriage as successful, even if it doesn't end in death. And that, that really struck me. Like, you know, we can view a relationship as having been successful if we have, to the best of our ability, lovingly conveyed each other through some period of time or through some process, and then recognize that we just, 
we may have outgrown our ability to continue on the journey together. And that doesn't need to be a tragic thing. You know, it can be sad, but it doesn't need to be tragic in the way that those of us who were raised, you know, Irish Catholic, you know, <laughs> grew to view, view these things, you know. And, and also, I think, yeah, that song just places my hopefulness on the very idea of love, not just eros, but as the Greeks talk about agape, uh, the ancient Greeks uh, spoke of this idea, this love that transcends, you know, the individual and is love of humanity, love of community. Uh, and I recognize that when we give ourselves to love as a practice, as a spiritual practice, as a personal practice, that's really what, you know, what Kate Wolf was, was singing about in her song, Give Yourself to Love. It's somebody asked Pete Seeger once, how come you don't write more love songs? And Pete looked at him like they were daft and said, they're all love songs. You know, like every song I write is a love song. It's about community. It's about the people I love. It's about the people I care about. And uh, so, yeah, this song just came out of nowhere for me and I was delighted and it brings me joy to sing it. And it really touches people somewhere in the midst of the melancholy of this song. Uh, is is hopefulness. And I want to give a shout out to John Carroll, a uh, colleague and friend of mine, great songwriter, uh, but also a phenomenal pianist. And he's playing piano here. I need to be clear, I was just a singer on this track. John killed it on piano. Here's Joe Jenks. given myself to flights of fancy to see what's around the next bend I've given myself to things that are broken to put them together again I've given up hope and I've given my best it all depends on the day given up so many things that I wanted and still the sun rises each day some measure life by their losses and gains for them there is never enough but I measure life by the hearts I have known for I've given myself to love I've given the money I had in my pocket to someone in obvious need. I've given myself to the kindness of strangers and I've given thanks for good deeds. I've given solace and I've given comfort. I've given a hand to a friend given myself to the things I believe, though sometimes I don't know to what end. Some measure life by their losses and gains, for them there is never enough. But I measure life by the hearts I have known, for I've given myself to love. Some people say that they have 
Life's just a roll of the dice But I say if you live life paying attention You see that each choice has a price I've given some people more than they bargained And others still cause for concern I've given myself to the fire of passion And I have been willingly burned Just when it seems that the story is over And all that remains is goodbye there is one thing of which you can be certain I'll always give love one more try Some measure life by their losses and gains For them there is never enough But I measure life by the hearts I have known For I've given myself to love Yes, I measure life by the hearts I have known For I've given myself to Give Myself to Love, Joe Jenks. Joe is doing a concert for the Emerald Concert Series. He won't be in South Florida this time. He will be online. For information on that, J-O-E-J-E-N-C-K-S dot com. Uh, I also want to mention quickly that the album that you came out before your latest, Poets, Philosophers, Workers, and Wanderers, was The Forgotten. And that were, was an album filled with songs by Sai Khan. How do you know Sai Khan? Uh, Cy Khan and I met uh, through the union, through AFM Local 1000, the Traveling Musicians Union. It's one of the locals of the American Federation of Musicians. And we just hit it off. We just became friends. He approached me, oh, probably 12 years ago, and said, I have dozens upon dozens of songs that I've written and never recorded. Uh, and I'm sort of at a point in my career where I'm probably not going to do a whole lot more recording. And I'm wondering if you'd be interested in just listening. And he sent me CDs. And I wanted to honor Cy and his work and his legacy and the ways in which he had influenced me both as a friend and as, as a performer, as an artist, as an activist, as a historian. You know, we just we have great meandering conversations. And But I picked a bunch of songs, some of which he wrote them for one specific event. He was on his way to a particular rally or a particular conference or a particular you know, evening celebrating somebody or something. And he wrote the song because he wanted to have something fresh for that event. And then he never sang it again. And it just, it sat on the shelf. And so they were fundamentally unfinished songs. And it was really my pleasure to take some of these songs and, and you know, knock the burrs off, to play with the melodies a little bit, to play with the chord changes, to change a few words, to update the language. Some of these songs had been written as much as 40 years ago. 
uh, and to, to, to bring them forward in time and make them a little more contemporary and a little more cohesive. And so I was very gracious as a songwriter in giving me a lot of latitude to mess with his songs and to arrange them differently and even rewrite portions of them uh, so that they felt like something I would naturally sing. And, uh, and it was great. The album is called The Forgotten, Recovered Treasures from the Pen of Cy Khan. And that's kind of funny because he and I both giggled and realized that largely neither one of us has used a pen to write a song <laughs> in at least two decades, you know. But <laughs> Well, let me play a song from that album. But before I play it, let me ask you, the issue of gun control has seemed to have taken the back burner. Gun sales have been up quite a bit. Is there an answer to this problem? You know, I'm probably not the person to speak to that from, from the political side. Um, I don't know that, that guns alone are the problem. It's, it's this embedded, bizarre mindset that people have that they have a right to use them in any way that they want, any time that they want. I think the law is the problem, not necessarily just the guns. I think when you have a stand-your-ground law that allows someone to shoot another person because they feel threatened, well, that's a pretty low bar. You know, uh, I feel threatened at times, but, you know, I use my mind and my creativity to solve the problem. I use community engagement. I walk up to somebody who's behaving strangely and feels threatening and say, hey, you look like you're having a hard time. Can I help you? <laughs> you know, there are other ways. And I think the law needs to be involved. Uh, I'm going to come down on the side of saying I think the law needs to be involved courageously in solving the problem, in restricting access to, I mean, hey, you know, access to bullets. I mean, let's put a serial number on every bullet made. I, I would disagree with you as well that guns have become less of a problem in the last four years or five years. They become more of a problem. They become a bigger problem. And when, when we see a protest and we see white people with guns that are unchallenged by law enforcement and are allowed to ransack our nation's capital, and we see a peaceful protest with no guns, that happens to include people of color, and they are preemptively surrounded by the National Guard, by law enforcement. Uh, I think we understand that racism is a huge issue, and the way that the laws are written and enforced follow a pathway that is incredibly discriminating, and it's based on racial uh, presuppositions and conjecture and fears. It's based on racism, and so I think I think a lot of people have really misguided views about guns, but I think the bigger issue is how we relate to our constitutional rights through the law and how we relate to racism and classism. And I think those issues need to be addressed, and I think music will continue to have a role in that. Art has a role in that, in helping us quantify you know, how we relate to such a complex issue. But it absolutely needs to be addressed. And the disparity in sentencing, the disparity in law enforcement as relates to people of color in this country is absolutely of primacy in my mind in terms of what the next step is uh, for our country. We have to address racism and we have to have honest conversations. We have to have truth and reconciliation commissions. We have to have real conversations where the real story can be told. Here's Joe Jenks from his album, The Forgotten, Why Are the Guns Still Firing? Along the battery in 
Charleston, South Carolina The ancient silent cannons point to sea In 1851 they fired on Fort Sumter The dead and wounded still cry out to you and me Why are the guns still firing? Why are the innocent laid low? Why is this war still raging? That should have ended long ago That war was fought in part to put an end to slavery The nation's shame we never should forget 150 years ago, the gunners finally rested But shameless violence still enslaves us yet Why are the guns still firing? Why are the innocent laid low? Why is this war still raging? That should have ended long ago are added to the millions who've lost their lives in this uncivil war and it remains unto us the living to spike the guns of hate forevermore why are the guns still firing why are the innocent This war still raging That should have ended long ago Why are the guns still firing? Why are the innocent laid Why is this war still raging? That should have ended long ago That should have ended long ago Why are the guns still firing? Joe Jenks from his album, The Forgotten. What's disturbing to me, well, the insurrection into the White House and people believing that the virus is a hoax, people believing that... Uh, these conspiracies. What what has gone wrong? What, what's going on, Joe? Uh, I'm going to revert to Pete Seeger's answer to Huack in 1955 and say, Michael, I, I'm just a singer. I travel <laughs> around the world uh, and I sing songs that serve to lessen the distance between people and bring people together. And I can't tell you exactly what's gone on or why, but I will come back to the idea of racism. Anybody who looks at what's happened in the last four years or five years, in the last year in particular, 
and does not understand this as an extension of racism and privilege and one group of people or a bunch of groups of people trying to preserve their privilege because they believe that there's not enough pie to go around, that there's not enough for everybody to have the same rights. And so they're going to make sure that they have theirs first. And that's ludicrous. There's plenty to go around. I, I think the pandemic has affected a lot of people in a lot of different ways. I think that a lot of people have lost their sense of being in community and therefore seeing others as part of their community. They, they've been, somehow, we've been allowed, the modern media culture and, you know, uh, all, all hats off to public radio and their efforts to bridge the distance, uh, but modern commercial media is a for-profit industry and it allows people to consume whatever opinions make them feel good so that advertisers can sell products in a very targeted way to those people. People have misunderstood that for years what commercial radio is. They've understood. They think music is what's being sold. That's not what's being sold on commercial radio. What's being sold is your attention. You are being sold, and you're being sold to advertisers, and the advertisers are selling products to you, and music is the bait on the hook that gets you there. And I think television is the same way. Commercial television, largely, uh, there are great directors and great content producers, great you know, great actors and musicians who create beautiful things, but it's always a bit of a deal with the devil in commercial programming because how do you pay for it? Well, you pay for it with advertising. How do you get advertising involved? Well, you have to promise them some return on their investment of advertising. And, and so uh, I think as long as we are this sort of factionalized in the media that we consume, where you can dial in the station of your choosing and hear the propaganda of your choosing and pretend that it's the truth and go forth with a gun in one hand and a flag in the other and say, this is my right, you know? I think that's dangerous. I think we all need to have the same news. I wish we could go back in some ways to the days of Walter Cronkite into the days when there were there were voices that were unilaterally respected as people who were speaking the truth. And I don't know how we get there in this era. Uh, and I think the left is at times guilty of it in their own way. I'm not just picking on the right here. I think the left often consume their own versions of stories and of narrative that excludes the possibility of there being another side to the story or many other sides to the story. So I think one of the best things that we can do is to recognize that whatever issue we're looking at, it is not an easy answer. And the people that want to tell you there's an easy answer are probably trying to sell you something. You know, the, the, whatever, whatever problem it is we're facing in our society or our community or right in our own town or, you know, there are many sides to a story. If you dive into Joseph Campbell and the history of human narrative and mythology and storytelling, you recognize that, that there really are many, many sides to a story and many ways to look at it. And I would just wish for the whole of this nation and the rest of the world that we would find ways to look at story, look at narrative, look at the stories we tell ourselves, look at the stories we tell other people, and deconstruct it a little bit. Look behind it. You know, if you see something on a news broadcast that seems a little sensational, ask yourself, who has something to profit by convincing me I should be angry about this? Who has something to profit by trying to convince me I should feel good about this? You know, follow, follow the money, follow the food chain, follow backwards who has something to gain from trying to elicit a particular emotion from you 
through that commercial media. Um, and I think it's part of why I ended up in the realm of folk music, because, you know, there, there's not a great deal of money to be made in, in, in my end of the music world. Uh, and so I tend to be able to trust the motives of the people I'm working with much more sincerely and trust that if they're wrong about a thing, it's simply because they're misinformed, not because they are in any way trying to uh, maliciously propagate something that is patently untrue. And, um, you know, but folk music is, is mythology as well. I mean, even when I try and write a ballad about something that's a, a, a historical event, um, it's still important if somebody's inspired by that, that they go to Wikipedia, that they go to an encyclopedia, that they go to the library, that they, they find other sources to corroborate the narrative. Um, because uh, I'll just say as sort of a, a closing to this line of thought that um, I think we need to up our game in public education and private education on teaching critical thinking and critical analysis so that more people know when they hear something, maybe they should ask themselves, okay, this may be true, but maybe it's only one piece of the truth. You know, maybe there's more to the truth than just this, or maybe this is not the truth at all. You know, Eli Whitney did not invent the cotton gin. It was one of his slaves that invented the cotton gin, you know, and yet the history books always remember Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin, you know, like, I mean, just even something like that, if we bother to know the history and tell the whole story or the best of the whole story that we can find, um, it helps us understand the complexity of the time we live in. And it, 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 it makes it less possible for us to reduce other people to a us versus them narrative. It, it, it invites us, if we understand the complexity of history, then we understand that what the history that's being written right now that we are living through is every bit as complex. Joe Jenks. Well, I want to thank you for what you do. And, and the work that you've been doing. And uh, end with this song, Why Did You Write Everybody Sings the Blues? <laughs> well, this, this is a good place to end, something a little light. I'm sure your listeners are like, man, this dude is heavy. <laughs> um, I was driving from Albany to Chicago, um, actually west of Chicago, a uh, good, good 13, 14-hour road day. And... Um, the thought just crossed my mind. What would happen if Ray Charles and Dr. Seuss had gotten together for a co-writing session? And so with that premise, of course, it was going to end up somewhere in the realm of the blues. And if you look at the writings of, of Theodore Geisel of Dr. Seuss, if you look at the writings, um, uh, the songs, the songwriting in particular of Ray Charles, and you listen to some of his interviews, um, you see two people that really each in their own way were trying to quantify human existence and the experience of being alive. They're sort of each in their own unique way, somewhat existential philosophers. And um, <clears throat> I just thought, you know, this is interesting. Of course, this is going to be blues, but there's going to be some whimsy and some silliness in this. And with, you know, with that as my premise, like I'm co-writing a song with Ray Charles and Dr. Seuss. <laughs> That's kind of where, where it took me. Everybody sings the blues and it's... Um, in that inimitable way that the blues does, you know, you can, you can sing your troubles somehow and end up feeling better about it when you're done. Joe Jenks, thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Well, I may not be the smartest man that ever walked on earth. And some of what's gone well for me 
might be an accident of birth. Oh, but deep inside the mystery surrounding me and you is something I have come to know and hold is deeply true. Well, you may be a woman from the right side of town Going out evenings in the finest of gowns All but one thing's for certain, no matter the shoes Sooner or later, everybody Sings the blues. Well, you may be erudite for a real cool cat, a high priced jet setter going this way and that. All but one thing's for certain. Everybody sings the blues All oh, lonely We all get lonely sometimes There's nothing anyone can do Hang on For just another day Blue. 